You're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Visit us at rabbitroom.com for more information. Hey folks, uh, you're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. I'm Pete Peterson and I'm here with Mr. John Barber. Hey guys, how are y'all? And we are going to talk today about a couple of movies that have come out recently. And I, can I just say that this is my favorite uh, part of the movie season. I feel like between January and April is when you get all these weird things that studios don't really know what to do with. And you get some of the worst movies and some of the best movies. Like The Matrix, Star Wars, a lot of these things came out in the spring season. Because at the time, studios were just like, I don't know if this is going to be a hit or a miss. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, for instance, last night, uh, the new Power Rangers movie came out, which... I don't have much of a nostalgic connection to because it that was a little after my time. But my 17-year-old son saw it last night, and he said it was the most fun thing he's seen in forever. He loved it. So, oh man, who knows what you get this time of year? That makes me like sad for youth because <laughs> that movie looks so terrible to me. Oh, but I'm glad he enjoyed it. Yeah, he loved it. Okay, so in a similar vein, the first thing we're going to talk about is. Kong Skull Island. Or is it Skull Island Kong? I believe it's Kong Skull Island. Gotcha. So I couldn't wait to see this movie. Like, I love King Kong. I've got... An, it's, it's King Kong's interesting to me. It's... Uh, I feel like it's this fascinating, mythical, like, archetypal story that resonates with people. I don't mean Kong Skull Island. I mean the Kong myth in general, which is fascinating because it's a completely 20th century story. Like it doesn't go back for hundreds of years. Like a lot of the things that like Star Wars, you know, it's built out of a whole bunch of archetypes that go back for thousands of years. Whereas King Kong, I feel like it's sort of a new thing that was sort of created out of whole cloth this century or last century. And, uh, it's really interesting. So I love the original King Kong. I actually loved the Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange version. Um, I know it's dated and it's got all kinds of problems. But I absolutely adore Peter Jackson's King Kong. I love every single minute of that movie, even when it's over the top and totally indulgent. Do so, you love that one? I think I missed about the middle third of that one because I'm pretty sure I slept through the middle part. Dude, you got to watch it again. Like, I, I get it. It's too long. It's totally <laughs> indulgent. Like, it should be trimmed. But um, sometimes I just love seeing somebody indulge what they love. And, like, I can sense Peter Jackson's passion for the story coming through. And I just think it's great. I love everything about it. And, I, you know, which is not to say that it's a perfect movie. It's just saying that I love it. So, going into Kong Skull Island, like, I'm the pump is primed. Like, it's going to be hard to disappoint me just because I, I just love King Kong. So I saw the trailer, you know, a few months ago, like like you do. And you get King Kong, of course, in the in the trailer. And then the, when the actors start coming on screen and it's Tom Hiddleston and it's Brie Larson and it's Samuel L. Jackson and then it's John C. Riley. I was all in from the second I yeah. saw that cast. And I mean, I said to, to, to my family, this is probably going to be a terrible movie and I don't care a little bit. I'm all in. I want to get there. Yeah. And so then, of course, I ended up seeing it by myself, you know, like a 10 o'clock showing. Right. But, and we all knew it was going to be a terrible movie. I mean, there's no way this is going <laughs> to this is going to be some great, you know, exercise in screencraft. And it wasn't. <laughs> no, so it's I, not. 
I love it. Like I, I thoroughly, like, it's not fair to say I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of watching it. And like I've often said, it's, it's my, it's one of my favorite monkey punching movies. Like I just don't get tired of monk. Uh, I will never get tired of a monkey punching a dinosaur. I'm there. That little boy part of me just can't get enough of monkey, monkey, a monkey punching a dinosaur. It's great. Having said that, like nothing about this movie makes sense. It's terribly acted. It's terribly written. Like it, it's terribly shaped. Like it doesn't have a real climax, and the climax that it does have, I feel like, just doesn't work and is manipulative. And like you know, when all of a sudden you're supposed to believe that Kong cares about somebody at the end, I'm like, really? You got to be kidding me. Uh, I okay. So let me back up for just a second. Not terribly acted across the board. John C. Riley is hilarious. Yes, I felt like every time he was on camera, the whole movie woke up. Yes, uh, he's fantastic. Uh, unfortunately. They put a couple of his best lines in the trailer, which bummed me out a little bit. Yeah. But there's still plenty in there. Um, he's good. Sam Jackson, he, he's fine, but he's kind of playing the Sam Jackson yeah. general he's, guy. Yeah, you know, he he is what he is. And then Hiddleston and Brie Larson are the Barbie and Ken kind of action movie cutout characters, and they're right. they're fine. And to- but, but totally but wasted. It's, the, it's totally wasted. But it's the guys that play the soldiers that I really, really, really like. Um, for instance, the one of them is a young kid, and he's played by um, the kind of the main kid from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which is a movie that I like a whole lot. And uh, his name's Thomas Mann. I just I really like. He's just he's great in it. And there, there's a bunch of those young actors that they just get great one-liners. They get great death scenes. Some of them. Yeah. Totally. Spo- spoiler here: a lot of people, a lot of the people in this movie die grisly deaths. Yeah. The spider death scene was my favorite. The spider is fantastic. If, what if in completely the world? illogical and <laughs> makes zero <laughs> physical sense, but it was so cool. Yeah, what one of the things I like about this movie is the director is a guy named Jordan Vote Roberts, who he's the latest in the line of this new Hollywood trend of taking a a young independent film director and then giving him this massive blockbuster tentpole kind of movie. So He's only he's really only made one other movie called The Kings of Summer, which is really good with Nick Offerman and a bunch of kids. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you made a little indie film that people liked a little bit. Have Kong, and he gets <laughs> yeah. to just play. It's like he doesn't he doesn't have the baggage that a lot of the more established filmmakers. It's just, it's just right. like the Russo brothers doing the Avengers movies. Like, right. quick, tell me a movie that the Russo brothers have made other than Captain America and the Avengers. I don't know that there is one. Or uh, Ryan Johnson, who's directing the new Star Wars movie. Right. He's you know he's got a couple of. Or Gareth Edwards. Bits. Yeah. Yes, Gareth Edwards. That's another one. So I love it. This would be a much different movie if they'd given it to some Hollywood uh, veteran, Michael Bay kind. It would have been and a better movie. <laughs> it may have been, but it, it would have been less have been. satisfying. Yeah, I think it would have been a better movie on some levels, and on but it wouldn't have been. Well, I, what I love about the movie is it's kind of bold. Like the vision this guy has for this movie is kind of like, wow, that's what you want to do? Holy cow. Like Kong in this movie is so much bigger than any Kong you've ever seen before. Uh, I mean, he's he's kind of like amazingly awesome. And like the scenes with the fire and the helicopters and some of the visuals were just like apocalyptically beautiful. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so much so that I think there were some very deliberate like apocalypse now kind of Okay. Callbacks. Now, this is a great point that I want to talk about. So, I saw the movie 
And I texted Andrew when I got out and was like, hey, I saw Kong. And he said, oh, I haven't seen it yet. How was the Apocalypse Now angle? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I heard that it was like, you know, inspired by and like very referential to Apocalypse Now. And I was like, I can't think of any way in which that's true. And like, to be fair, the more I think about it, I do see like where like the John C. Riley character is like the Dennis Hopper character. And, you know, Kong is obviously Colonel Kurtz. And uh, so, okay, I can see kind of where you get that from, but there is no sense in which this is a thoughtful movie. No, uh, about anything like it's no, saying that it's not. yeah, saying that it's uh, kind of the Kong version of Apocalypse Now is preposterous. No, 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 no. And um, one of the characters, which one is? Oh, it's uh, it's John C. Riley's character. His name is Marlowe. His last name is Marlowe. Oh, right. Right. So that's your that's your heart of darkness connection. Right. So there's those I think about the like the scenes and the helicopters where they're playing the, sure. the music, that stuff. It's just a, it's just referential. Right. It's 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 certainly not a uh, an attempt at equaling right. the the artistic right. merit of Apocalypse Now. It's just a, it's just a callback. Yeah, I loved it. Right. But it also made me a little sad because I thought like as soon as Andrew said that, I thought, man, if somebody had like if a serious filmmaker had approached it with that in mind. Like, that could have been an amazing movie, you know, yes. about this group of people going into this unknown island and encountering this lost king that is, you know, yep. kind of inscrutable. Like, that sounds like an amazing movie, and I wish that had been the movie they made. Instead, it's just, you know, monkey punching. <laughs> now, I will say, I know you missed it. There is an, a post credit scene that kind of cranks up the weird factor a little bit. Uh, essentially, what it's doing is it's setting up the next five movies or so, right? Because we're going to get all the other monsters. We're going to get Godzilla and we're going to get Mothra and whatever, right? But so the scene is is that it's then setting we'll have, that then up. Then we get moth punching, which is great. Yeah, we'll get moth. We're going to get Kong, probably a monkey punching a moth. That's that's coming. <laughs> so get ready for. Uh, it. I love this world that we live in. But, but it's uh, but that so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie yet, please stay till the very and I mean it's at the very end. It's not a post credit scene like it's after the first minute of credits. It's post credits. You have to stick around for the whole time, and it's totally worth it. It's super weird. If you liked Lost, the TV show, you will really like this post credit scene. I'm so sad that I missed that now. Yeah, you can kind of you can dig around online and kind of find some some YouTube like bootleg versions of it, but I almost don't want you to because I want you to see it in, in its glory. Uh, maybe I'll rent it when it comes out and I'll, I'll check it out then. I am not yeah. paying to see that movie again. Well, <laughs> not not at the theater anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's all I have to say about Kong. I don't know that it bears that much discussion. No, there's not too much to say about it other than it's a ton of fun. If you want to go watch Monkey Punching for an hour and a half, it's the right movie. <laughs> so somebody just pointed out uh, the other night, I, I was describing it as the Monkey Punching movie, and, and they reminded me that when that Liam Neeson movie, The Grey, came out yeah. years ago, yeah, yeah. that uh, one of the Rotten Tomatoes like snippets of the review was... It was a negative, like Rotten Tomato, and the the quote from the review was, "I was told there would be more wolf punching," <laughs> which I just think I would have. I may have liked that movie if there had been more wolf punching. I, I, I exactly like it ended right before the wolf punching started. You know, but it's a terrible movie. So Logan. Okay, Logan. Backstory. I grew up a major league comic book nerd. Um, I spent my allowance on comic books. I worked at McDonald's 
when I was 14 because it was literally across the parking lot from the comic book store so that I would be able to earn money to go buy comic books at the comic book store. Um, And my favorite, favorite, favorite was always the X-Men. And my favorite X-Men was always Wolverine. Always. So I've been reading Wolverine comics for, I don't know, 25 years. He's he's, he's my favorite. And so, by the way, I don't really like most of the X-Men movies. Because uh, I think they get all of it wrong. This movie, Logan, is the first movie to get Wolverine right. Yes. Uh, it's the first movie that kind of depicts the savage, savagery of Wolverine. Um, because there is a whole lot of blood. Yeah. You know, it's the first moment of the movie. Yeah, it's funny. that you, like We come from exactly the same place. Grew up, I loved X-Men comics. Wolverine was my favorite character. And like the thing that drew me to Wolverine, I think, other than the fact that he's just kind of a badass with all the great one-liners, was that uh, like in the comics, he killed people. And it, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that I liked him because he killed people, but I liked him because I saw a complexity in his character that I didn't always see in the others. Because like everybody else was so kind of like squeaky clean. And like here was this character that was like kind of terrifying and complicated in a way that everybody else wasn't. And I was really drawn to that. So yeah, and this is, I agree, agree, this is the first, well, I don't know, I don't don't know this is the first time. This is the time in which they've gotten him the most right. Because I feel like there are other movies, like there's moments in the other movies where like that is the Wolverine that I grew up with. Like in- Yeah, I can live with that. Like the scene in X-Men 2, uh, you know, when the striker is breaking into the, the, the school and Wolverine is in the kitchen with Iceman and the soldier comes in and Wolverine just like stabs him in the chest and screams and then when he pulls out pulls away like young Iceman is just like horrified by what he's just seen I was like that is the the Wolverine I know the one that's just barely on the edge of control so like there's those moments but I feel like this was this movie was a whole movie of those moments yes yeah it was it was complete and it I'll probably you, I'm probably going to gush about this movie for about 20 minutes. So you know, feel free to put the brakes on whenever you want to. Cause, because, uh, the, the bottom line is I loved it a lot. So, uh, cautionary for those listening, there's a lot of profanity. There's a lot of blood and I'm talking like almost Quentin Tarantino levels of blood. Yeah. Really disturbing violence, which is kind of the point right. of, of the movie. So this movie tackles the same questions that it seems like all superhero movies right now are, are concerned with uh, Captain America Civil War, Batman versus Superman these questions of what does a, a person with with powers, what's their responsibility in regards to the lives of others and so Wolverine is Logan it is he spends the movie not only having to battle with the ramifications of that, because th- this movie takes place in the future, so it's about 20 years after everything else. He's older, uh, he's got a lot of gray. There's a scene where he can't quite get one of his claws out, which is a little reminiscent of another activity that an older person might not be able to do. I'll probably just leave that there, you can cut that out <laughs> if you two feet. But that's clearly what that's about. So he's older and he's lived a very, very hard life. And now he's a limo driver trying to support Professor X, who he has hidden away in Mexico um, in this little hidey hole. And uh, it's bleak. (laughs) Professor X is suffering from dementia, which has a whole nother dimension when you come to, you know, dealing with a telepath, which which is fascinating. 
yeah, what happens when you give the world's most powerful telepath dementia? And we find out, and it's not pretty for the for those around them. And so ultimately, he has to deal with this stuff. Logan does, and then this young girl is introduced, and Logan is forced to become kind of a father figure for a lot of reasons to her. And so not only does he have to focus on or deal with these questions for himself, but now he has to figure out how to deal with them for her and how to impart his um, experience to her. And uh, it's a road trip movie, and it's a father-daughter movie, believe it or not, if that's possible. Great performances, man. I just, I liked it a lot. The performances, like there is not a bad performance as well. I mean, I guess you could pick out some of the minor people, but like all the leads are just fantastic. uh, Caliban. Yeah, that's who I was going to mention. Stephen Merchant as Caliban. I don't know who that guy is, but he was riveting. He's a, uh, so Merchant is a, he's a comedian. He shows up, he's funny because you'll see him in kind of the fourth or fifth role in like an Owen Wilson movie. He's a comedian? Yeah, he's a comedian. That's amazing. He looks nothing like Caliban. He looks nothing like his character in this movie. Wow. He totally transforms. So it's it's worth looking him up just to see what he looks like in real life. Um, he's great, and um, the girl is that, great. I know that you weren't in love with the third act. Yeah, I'll get I to that. Was, but yeah, you now you can gush for a minute. You want me to gush or just tell you how you're wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm um, fine with that. No, like I feel like I've been really critical of this movie to a lot of people, and that's not exactly accurate. Like I loved the movie. Like I loved watching it all the way to the end. Like I said, the performance is fantastic. Writing is really good and for the most part. Where I where it let me down and where I hesitate to say it's a great movie is like John said in the third act. Because this is a movie about the nature of violence and the nature of conscience and how the two interact and what we do with violence and how we look at it. And the way that it approaches that is it presents Wolverine, who is an inherently violent person, struggling to contain his violent nature. And he's clearly tormented about the things that he's done in his life. And then this young version of himself essentially enters his life and he has the opportunity to kind of guide the development of that person. So like that's a great setup for a movie. And, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, on the side of, hey, the movie's too violent and that's why I didn't like it. Like, I like the fact that the violence is horrifying because we should be horrified by violence, right? But then when we get to the end of the movie, like, I wasn't convinced that that the movie had communicated uh, well the message that it very clearly wanted us to be communicated. That was a terrible sentence, but you know what I'm saying. So, like, so in in the context of this movie, it's a a violent movie about, that's anti-violent, kind of like Unforgiven, right? But the problem is, like, Wolverine kind of teaches her to be a murderous, monstrous person. And he seems to, like, be okay with that until, the you know, you get to the end of the movie. And rather than, I feel like, the girl having learned something and Wolverine having, you know, maybe had to kind of sacrifice his own uh, conscience in order to protect someone else. What he's done is created, like, a whole team of young children who murder people. And yeah, they're murdering people to survive. I get it. But like the glee with which the film depicted all that, I felt like kind of betrayed the point that it was trying to make. Um, So I I disagree with you about the point of the movie. I don't think that it's an anti-violence movie. I think it's a movie about for these characters, the ones who had this thrust upon them. So that Wolverine and then these kids who, without going into detail for spoiler reasons, um, have these powers that they did not ask for. 
it's a movie about how to live with the violence that they're forced to commit. So for me, he says, he says to her at one point, essentially, you gotta learn, you gotta learn how to live with this because it's going to be your life. And so he does his best at, from at the beginning of the third act, he sort of comes to the realization that he's going to do what he can to protect them from that for as long as he can. And so what you get is this moment of, I haven't seen anybody else write about this to me. This was, it seemed like a, like a fairly clear connection, but they were, uh, this group of kids is on the run heading, heading to a, a safe place. And boy, they reminded me of, of sort of the lost boys on the Island. And Peter was coming back to try to protect huh. uh, so much so that one of the kids looks just like one of the lost boys from the movie hook. I mean, like it's probably that, that actor's son or something. So for me, it's, it's not an anti-violence movie. It's a movie about necessary violence. And it's a movie about understanding when you have to intervene to protect somebody else. And so that's what, that's what, that's what Logan is yeah. saddled with. Yeah. I get where you're coming from. That's an interesting point. I still feel like though the the movie betrays that by being so gleeful in the way like watching kids kill people is horrifying and I felt like the movie thought it was just fun and cool and so that's um. where that's where it breaks down for me I feel like they needed okay so a perfect example is um the last planet of the apes movie watching an ape ride a horse and shoot a machine gun is just it's pretty cool. But like that movie very clearly communicated through its cinematic language that what was happening was tragic because these were, th- these were innocent, you know, this was the fall of innocence, right? The fall of the civilization because they were learning to be violent. And that's what I didn't get out of Logan. And that's what I wanted. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have wanted that. Maybe that was a story know, to, I to wanted me, that's to exa- That's exactly how it ends because these kids now, which by the way, gosh, I, I don't know if I should say this, but this might be spoilery. You can cut this out if you want. But so those kids are the new mutants, right? That's what we're getting is our new mutants, right? Spinoff, Richter, and all the rest of them. But that's exactly so. The movie sets up from from the last shot, which I definitely won't give away. Which is um, great. Which is fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, and uh, from that last shot, we get they've now transitioned out of this place of idyllic innocence to a life of forced necessary violence to protect themselves and to, and to protect other people, which is what comic books are about. Yeah. I think we're just going to disagree on this one. I think it, it was just the way that the movie read to me. Like I read it more as the kids had grown into who they were and that's okay. As opposed to find like, okay. So here's another beef I had like professor X is, you know, nonviolent and he spent his life trying to guide these children to be able to use their powers for good, but also like not to kill people, right? And so then I feel like this movie undid all of that. And like I thought if if Professor X had been there to see what happened to the children, he would have been horrified by it because everything he had tried to teach them had come to nothing. And here they had just become basically animals. That were, right, and, and, it, and I would argue that that's what you're saying is true, but that that's exactly what Logan tries to do as well. That's why he takes the action that he takes involving a, uh, a syringe, <laughs> yeah. trying, not, trying not to give it a lot of weight here, but uh, to protect them. That's exactly what he's trying to do. And he, but he can only do so much because he's old 
and yeah. he's spent and he's dying. Uh, and he does the best he can. He can't go. Fu- he can't go found a school, right? For right. Them, but he does the best he can. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch it again at some point. Like with that in mind, like I might have been bringing too much of my own preconceived notions of what I wanted it to be to the movie. But like it, it's at least. Uh, good in that it made me think, you know, and I was engaged all the way through. And even if I didn't think, it, if I, even if I didn't agree with where I, uh, where it ended up, it didn't insult me, you know. I mean, and King Kong's an insulting movie, essentially. Like, it, it doesn't ask anything of the viewer. Whereas this right. asks a lot of the viewer. Like, you've really got to get in uh, to the skin of the characters and figure out how you feel about how they're acting, which is what a great story should do. Yeah, I just I, I think that it, it's a movie that made by a filmmaker that knows how to make movies. He knows how to speak the language of film. I mean, there's so many. Uh, obvi- there's an obvious connection to the movie Shane, and then, like you said, Unforgiven. I think there's some of that in there as well. Definitely, yeah. Like the the language of the movie just works, and it's beautifully shot. And it's I guess maybe the best thing I can say about it is it's completely different than every other comic book movie I've seen. Yeah. It has a unique vision. It works that way throughout. You, I, I do think you can pick a few nits at it. I, I could, if, you know, yeah. if I wanted to. But but overall, man, I just like I walked out of there going, this is, I have, I'm having trouble calling it better than The Dark Knight. But are we talking about the best comic book movie ever made? No, Maybe. No, we're not. I'm not still saying <laughs> that. But that's what I was saying walking out. I thought it had the potential. I didn't. I, didn't, I just didn't feel like it quite lived up to its potential. Which isn't to say that I didn't love it. I, I really enjoyed it. I just was... I feel, it's one of those cases where... I, it's kind of like Quentin Tarantino's last couple of movies. Um, where, like, I loved the movie. I loved it from a filmmaking perspective. I love it from a writing perspective. But I was disappointed in it when it came to uh, what I felt the, the filmmaker was trying to communicate. I felt like there was a flaw in his argument as opposed to a flaw in his filmmaking. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, that's the Hateful Eight that's... Yeah, yeah, hatefully, exactly. and I thought Django the same way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. But that's because Tarantino can't seem to grow up. I think. Exactly, right. Which is kind of the, what I came away from this movie thinking. I, I felt like it was a grown-up movie from somebody uh, by a filmmaker whose own thought processes hadn't quite grown up yet. Interesting. And, um, and you know, maybe I'm misreading that, but that was what I came away with it with. Yeah. But ultimately, if you're kind of deciding whether you want to go see Logan... It's not for kids. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. When I went to see it, the, the theater was full of families with kids. And I, I mean, like, I mean, like six year old kids. And I was absolutely horrified that, like, after the first five minutes, those families should have known, hey, we need to leave. And they didn't. literally they, there's no ambiguity after the first five minutes. You no. know what you're getting into. Like, I really appreciated that they opened the movie the way they did. It was kind of like they said, hey, look, this is the kind of movie this is. If this isn't what you're here for, leave now. Yeah. And the, these families with kids didn't leave. And I just thought, what is happening to parents in our country? But if you do want kind of a, if you want a thoughtful comic book movie, if you're tired of monkey punching, for yeah, instance, he, or, yeah. or Batman punching, you know, or whatever, yeah. this, this is a, right. it, it's worth going to the theater to see. Yeah. You know that you bring up a good point. Like my biggest, like I love comic books. I love comic book movies in general, uh, but my biggest beef with them. And the reason that I'm kind of not excited about, excited about them anymore is that they can't seem to come up with a new plot. Like, it's all Mr. So-and-so wants to destroy the world with this magical widget, and we have to stop him. And, like, literally, that's what they're all about. And so it's been really refreshing lately to have Civil War, which is a different movie, and this, which is a very different movie. Yeah, so it's, it, it's great. Proceed. We'll
For more information about The Rabbit Room and The Rabbit Room Podcast, visit us at rabbitroom.com. Music composed and performed by Andrew Osinga from his album Solar Wind.